After seven years in Utah, I have decided to join the Boston Celtics. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Instagram the same and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedRockBasketball. We are back here today to discuss more of the goings on in free agency and also a recap of last night's uh, action in the Utah Summer League. So... Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. We'll start with free agency where the big news that's gone down in the last 48 hours is the uh, the movement of Gordon Haywood from the Utah Jazz across to the Boston Celtics on a four-year, $128 million contract. Obviously, nothing is official yet because we aren't out of the moratorium, but uh, Haywood will be going to Boston. But in order for Haywood to go to Boston, Boston needs to make a trade of some sort because they don't have the cap space to sign him to that full maximum. Now, what that trade will be remains to be seen. Uh, what Woj said is that the, uh, the Celtics and the Jazz are engaging in talks in a sign-and-trade for Jay Crowder, which makes absolutely zero sense to me. A, the Celtics have no power forwards on the roster at all, and at least Jay Crowder can play at the four, so you'd think they'd want to keep him. And why would they just throw Crowder in for nothing? They're getting Haywood for nothing. That's the idea of friends. And I know that they need to create space for... Um, to to have Haywood there, but it can't just be Crowder for Haywood. They would need to be getting more assets back because if you think about it this way, they could just sign Haywood and then they could engage another team and say, okay, we need to get rid of someone. Here's Jay Crowder. Why don't you give us another player back? Why don't you give us draft picks back? So it's no in no way is it going to be Haywood for Crowder. It's just not going to happen. If Utah is going to get involved in that and get Jay Crowder coming back, they will have to send something else out, whether that's another player or future assets or whatever that is. There is no way. It makes absolutely zero sense for for Boston to just give Jay Crowder up and not getting any other assets around. Now, the other talks of players that they might be looking to get rid of or to clear, clear that space uh, Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart, and whoever it is that goes, it is going to create a, a hole in Boston. Because all those guys are obviously uh, rotational players and players who have big impacts. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what they do in terms of who they move. And that's going to have an impact, obviously, on the fantasy value of guys. Now, as things stand, say Haywood goes and they find a way to create the space by not getting rid of any of those other guys. Then you're going to see players like Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jay Crowder, Al Horford even, you have a, a dip in, in what their fantasy value is, especially a guy like Thomas whose usage rate will probably go down, and Gordon Haywoods will go down as well. So I'd imagine both of those guys suffer a hit as opposed to last season. And then with the other players, it is going to depend on who ends up going out uh, elsewhere, whether it is Crowder or Bradley or Smart as to what happens to those those other guys value so we're not 100% locked in on what's going to happen with those guys but there is an opportunity for for one of those players who does leave Boston to have a little bit of a boost in their value we just don't know who and we don't know how much and we don't know what sort of boost that will happen but I would imagine you know, regardless here yeah, Thomas and Horford are going to are going to cop somewhat of a hit 
Horford, especially with the amount of assists that he had, was getting last season, I imagine that will dip a little bit. Uh, Hayward's a guy that does have the ball in his hands more and can create a little bit more as well. So maybe maybe we see a drop in uh, in Horford's assist numbers marginally. The Celtics are going to be stretched um, big man-wise. They, they've uh, already lost Tyler Zeller. They've had to waive him to create some cap space. We know Amir Johnson's gone to the Sixers. Kalia Linick has had his restricted free agency tag pulled, so he's now an unrestricted free agent, and he'll be going elsewhere. Jordan Mickey is gone. So they don't have much in the way of big men. There's Ante Zizic, who is uh, coming across as a rookie now. There's, uh, there's Horford still there, obviously, but there's really nothing in terms of big men on this roster. So um, there are going to be opportunities for guys like yeah, Jalen Brown to get a few extra minutes there, perhaps. So it's not just that, that Haywood's coming in and and um, everyone's losing minutes because they've lost so much in the front court and they're going to have to lose a perimeter guy as well. So there are still going... It's not going to be a massive, massive drop-off for guys like Haywood and Thomas and, and Horford. There'll be marginal changes, but because so much is leaving Boston, um, especially in that big man department, that there are going to have to be guys that, that push up quite a bit and play different positions or play up positions, and that's going to enable these guys to play maybe some more minutes than we would have anticipated initially. Uh, as for Utah, I think it's a huge opportunity for Rocket Rodney Hood. Now, the, the arrival of Jay Crowder could move things up if that or change things around if that does happen, but at this point I would expect them to go with a starting um, one, two, and three of Rubio, Hood, and Ingles. So Rocket, who had a disappointing season last season, is still... Did, did his bit, but he was injured quite a bit. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be a, a significant player and someone who sees their usage rate rise quite a bit and could very easily have a 20-point-per-game scoring season. So look for him as a, as a guy that gains value. So does Joe Ingles, who, as we saw during the season, when he was given the opportunity to start and when Hayward was out, he was putting up fantasy-relevant numbers, hitting threes, getting steals, being efficient, you know, dishing those assists, so expect like a Gordon Haywood light type of situation for Ingles, and I think he's probably going to be a standard league guy that you pick towards the end of drafts. Also, can Ricky Rubio keep his scoring prowess going that we saw at the end of the season? He's going to have the opportunity to because there aren't any high usage players really on this team, so Rubio feels pretty solid on this team, and Gobert's going to get a little bit more of a look offensively. Now, he was much improved offensively last season. He's never going to be a guy that... that he has his huge usage rate and leads the team in scoring and all that sort of stuff. But I would expect his value to be um, increased on the offensive end while all the defensive stuff stays where it is. The high field goal percentage, the blocks, the rebounds, all that stuff should be similar. But I would expect a few more shots per game for Rudy. Now, what they're doing at Power Ford, who knows? Last season... Quinn Snyder didn't want to use Derek Favors there at all. There was a lot of Joe Johnson. There was a lot of Boris Diaw. I think we see a lot more Joe Johnson this season, and that could actually sneak him into maybe the top 150. Um, it does still remain to be seen exactly what they do with that roster. But Joe Johnson could be uh, could be in line for some extra minutes to pick up there as well. So we're going to see Rubio, Hood, Ingles, Johnson, Gobert all get bumps with Haywood leaving. Uh, some other deals that went down, Omri Caspi signed a one-year $2.1 million contract with the Warriors. It's going to have very little impact fantasy-wise, but he is, he is a very good player, and that's a great signing for the Warriors. They also signed Nick Young on a one-year $5.2 million deal, and much like Caspi, it's not going to have too much of an impact fantasy-wise, but what it does is it replaces, replaces the Ian Clark role, and Caspi replaces the Matt Barnes role. 
for this team. So we know how, I guess, little impact those guys had from a fantasy point of view for the majority of the season. But deeper league players, um, you're going to need to pay some attention. But I would imagine that, that Young, or not imagine, Young's value is definitely declining from last season. And Caspi was sort of all over the place last year. But at least he should be able to find a consistent role with the Warriors. Georgie Hill. Heads across to the Sacramento Kings on a three-year, $57 million contract with the last season non-guaranteed. He was joined by Zach Randolph, who had a two-year, $24 million contract with the Kings. And I don't get it. I don't... The George Hill one, I can sort of understand, but you did just invest the number five pick in a point guard in De'Aaron Fox. I understand you want to get some veterans in and show them the ropes and all that sort of bullshit that gets spouted around. But what's the point of bringing Hill and Randolph in so you can become marginally better? Not make the playoffs, but worse in your lottery pick, as well as reducing some development time for your young guys. Now, Hill can obviously play off the ball. He can play at the two, but that's where your prize jewel in the crown, Buddy Hill, plays. That's where Bogdan Bogdanovich plays. That's where Malachi Richardson plays. That's where all these guys play on this team. So... I think it puts a big dampener on uh, on De'Aaron Fox, who a lot of people were thinking was going to be Rookie of the Year or going to be the best fantasy rookie. I was obviously never in that De'Aaron Fox best fantasy bookie, rookie boat. To me, before all this, he was probably the fourth or fifth guy behind Fultz, Ball, Smith, and Simmons. Um, and I would I would keep him down there now because his minutes, the path to minutes, just aren't there. Now, George Hill, if he stays healthy and they play him 30 minutes, and we know Dave Yeager's not necessarily a guy who's going to lean significantly on rookies. He didn't really give rookies much of a run until the end of the season where they started playing musical chairs with the rotation. He was a top 40 player, potentially. You're never going to pick him there because of the because of the injury concerns we've seen over the last two years, but before Haywood got... Uh, before Hayward came back in Utah last season, when Paul George was out that year in Indiana, George Hill was amazing. He was putting up just stupid, stupid numbers, and that could be the case again. So I would look for him to be a, a very, very interesting pickup. And they're not going to sign him to that much to play him as a 20-minute backup behind uh, De'Aaron Fox. Don't expect that at all. Expect Fox to be the backup. Fox pretty much becomes undraftable, I think, in standard leagues. I think even in 30 minutes, he would have been uh, had a tough, tough case to crack the top 100 anyway. And now, in this spot, the minutes just aren't going to be there enough for him. As for Zach Randolph, this one makes no sense whatsoever when all of the, really the best prospects on the Kings outside of Fox and Heald are, are centers. Corley Stein, Papianis, um, Scala Bissier, they've got Costa Kufos still there as well. And then you bring in Zach Randolph, who basically is a center at this point. Yes, I know Dave Yeager loves him from his time in Memphis, but Randolph wasn't good last season. You can look at his numbers and go, oh, he averaged yeah, whatever he averaged, but he also led the team in usage and had a true shooting of 49%. That is incredibly inefficient for a big man especially, but for a guy leading your team in usage to have true shooting under 50 is horrendous. Randolph couldn't play the big minutes last year. He did in the playoffs. He played some minutes. But if we want to look through the season, he was playing like 22, 23 minutes a season. And to me, he is not going to be a draftable player. I would have loved if they just went in with Scal at, four, at the four and Corley Stein at the five. And I think they still may go in with that, with Randolph playing that sixth man off the bench role. Uh, as a big man, but similar to last season when Jermichael Green started in, in Memphis, I think that Labissier will still start in Sacramento and he would be the guy that I would want over Zebo in fantasy drafts every day of the week. Randolph will not be a standard league draftable player, in my opinion, although he will get drafted and he will get overdrafted because he always is one of those guys with a classic case of name recognition. 
who gets drafted too high in fantasy leagues. Happened last season, happened the year before. He's never been a super strong fantasy contributor anyway. And with his talents and skills declining, there's just, and his minutes, there's just no real need for it. It was a weird one to me for the Kings to sign him again, just pushing for, yeah, the, the 12th seat, the 11th seat. Like, what's, what's the point? They're, they're not making the playoffs this, can impact the development. It's really going to depend on how Jaeger does it, but I don't have full confidence that he's going to say, right, let's play all the young blokes and you old guys, let's play you 15 a night. It's, it's not going to happen, especially especially with George Hill. Patrick Patterson heads to the Oklahoma City Thunder on a three-year, $16.5 million contract. Stupidly cheap, that is, for Patrick Patterson. Now, this team didn't have any power forwards on the roster, with the exception of Jeremy Grant. So I'd imagine that Patrick Patterson moves into the starting lineup, something that we'd been hoping would happen in Toronto for quite a while. But let's not get ourselves confused with a player who's very good advanced metric-wise, very good on-off numbers, helps teams win. He doesn't help fantasy teams win. He's a guy that, that plays really good defense and can hit some shots, but he provides literally no stats. So, yeah, he's going to get a chance to start for this team. He's going to be part of one of the best defensive starting fives in the NBA with Andre Robertson coming back as well on a three-year, $30 million deal. But I cannot see any way that you're going to want to draft Patrick Patterson as a as a fantasy guy in standard leagues just because of, again, what we've seen. We've seen him get 28 minutes a night in Toronto for the last couple of years and be really nowhere even sniffing that top 100 zone, like not even close to it. He goes out there, he does what he needs to do, he takes his shots from three, he doesn't provide anything else. And while it's a great signing, it's super cheap, the value is amazing. For fantasy, it's just not going to move the needle and it's going to be a... a Maybe a 16-team guy, maybe a maybe a 14-team league guy, but nothing that's standing out to me for him to be a, an awesome uh, an awesome fantasy player. Dion Waiters goes back to Miami on a four-year, $54 million contract. This is a bit of a pain in the ass from a fantasy-wise because it does impact what Josh Richardson can do, and I'm not sure exactly how Miami is going to run things. Are they going to start Dion Waiters? Or are they going to keep Josh Richardson in that spot and play Waiters as a 25-minute-per-game guy? I'm not sold on Dion Waiters. I said that plenty of times last season. I believe there was a level of flukiness as to what he was doing. And I think that he is better served in, instead of in that 35-minute role that he was playing for a lot of the season when Richardson was hurt. He's better in a 26, 27-minute-a-game role. He has inefficiency concerns. He's not the best fantasy player. So while he probably is still going to be a worthwhile late draft pick I wouldn't be going too high on him or reaching too high on him just because his game is not spectacularly great for fantasy and there is that specter of Richardson now Richardson in the same boat is going to be impacted by waiters so I, I would much rather have Richardson I believe as a as a later round fantasy pick because of his ability to do all that defensive stuff the steals and the blocks his assist numbers can still be good and I would hope that they would they would give him um at least equal minutes to, to waiters and hopefully more, but it, it does still remain to be seen. Um, it, not not the most ideal situation for people who own Richardson in dynasty leagues to have waiters coming back for four years, but uh, I do think that their their optimal lineup is going to be Dragic Richardson with uh, with waiters in a six man twenty seven minute a game role, but that remains to be seen if that's actually what is going to happen. A couple of other transactional notes. notes. Monte Ellis has been waived. So that opens up more minutes for Victor Oladipo in Indiana. Not that Oladipo was going to play behind Ellis at all, but Ellis is gone, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where he actually ends up. Don't get sucked into Monte Ellis. 
Otto Porter has signed a max contract with the Nets, four years, $106 million. The Wizards have got another two days to decide to match that one, which it appears they will. So, um, yeah, not much is going to change there for Porter from what he did last season. I wouldn't be expecting first-half Otto Porter to reappear. I would be expecting maybe a little bit better than second-half Otto Porter, which was not the guy that was a top-20 pick. And if you use a top-20 pick on Otto Porter, it's just a waste in my opinion. And as I touched on before, Kelly Linick is an unrestricted free agent. He's getting some pretty decent offers out there. And we all know how good he can be from a fantasy point of view and how much Brad Stevens dicked him around with minutes and rotations. So it's going to be very, very intriguing to see where Linick ends up. And he could be a, a standard league staple in drafts next season, just depending on that situation. Now let's transition and and talk about what we saw or what I saw. You might not have seen it. What I saw at Utah Summer League last night, there were two games, the Boston Celtics and the San Antonio Spurs was the first one. The Spurs get the victory 81-70, to but let's have a look at how the players went. Now, Ante Zizic, a player who I've been pretty high on, he was he was poor, and he's been poor in both games. And probably the only real disappointment that's been here at the summer, Utah Summer League has been Zizic. He, he scored just six points with six boards. He turned the ball over five times. He just looks like he really, really no, he looks like he does. He just really struggles defensively. He's a little bit slow to move, but even like defending the rim, he can't get up. He can't provide any sort of deterrence as a shot blocker. He just appears like he's groundbound. He can't get up and block those shots. But yeah, rebounding-wise, he's fine. And this is this is what we knew about him, that he was going to come across and be a scorer, an efficient scorer, a high-volume rebounder, have those high percentages, but not really be able to block some shots. And when you look at his line, it's not terrible. You know, 6-6 six and six with a steal and a block in only 23 minutes, but he just didn't look great out there. Now, as I touched on earlier, the Celtics just have no front-court players. So... Despite Zizic's struggles, he's probably going to have to play. And while I don't think that he's going to be challenging the top 100 this year, I wouldn't, you know, depending on how everything pans out, we've still got a lot, of, a lot of distance to go. And he's still got way more summer leagues to go, or some summer league games to go. Um, he, he's going to be worth looking at as that player, uh, as that player that we look at as a, um, as a guy that we can... Um, you picked maybe towards the end of a, of a draft and, and hope, but really what we've seen so far hasn't been promising. What we have seen from Jason Tatum has been. He scored 23 points with 10 boards. He, he had a steal. He had two assists, 10 of 18 from the field, and he looks he looks really comfortable. Now, obviously, it's summer league, and with Haywood arriving, the minutes for him are going to be sparse. So he's not going to be sparse. Is that sparse? That's the word I'm looking for. Um, he, he's not going to be getting big minutes straight off the bat. There's just no way he's not going to start, he's not going to play 25 a night, and he's not going to be a standard league relevant player. And in fact, even in dynasty leagues, despite how good he's looked, the, the path for him to get minutes is obviously crowded with, with Haywood signing there for four years with Jalen Brown there also. So that pushes him down, but, but he's looked good when he's gone up against the inferior opponents, smaller opponents, he's still quite thin and, and his uh, his strength is going to be a concern and defensively there's a problem. And against bigger defenders, that's going to be the issue because he does rely so much on ISO and on, uh, on mid-range stuff. And if that doesn't go in, then he's in a bit of trouble. 
but it has been an impressive start from from Tatum, but I'm not uh, reading too much into that. Jalen Brown, not as good in this game as what he was in the first one. Just six points on two of six shooting, missed all four of his threes. He was rushing things a little bit. They were playing him at point guard, both offensively and defensively at times, so a change in role, and that often leads in a, in a weird sort of statistical profile, which is what we saw here, and he had six and eight, but he was quite aggressive with his rebounding, and, and he was fine. He's going to be playing... Um, He's going to be playing a, a 20 minute or so role again this season with Haywood arriving. And yeah, if Crowder ends up leaving and they play, they have to play Haywood a little bit more at the four. I can see Jalen Brown getting some more of those minutes, but uh, I don't think he's going to be a standard league fantasy guy either. Semi Ojale didn't do a huge amount in this game, seven points in 22 minutes, while Abdul Nader scored 14 points. And just he just continues to be productive, Nader. He's got. There's something weird going on with his jersey. If you have a look at the back, I tweeted it out. There's like, he's number 51, and the, and the number one is in the middle of his jersey, but the number five is right over on the side. It's like they just forgot to put it on and just slapped it on at the end. It, it's a it's a real weird-looking jersey. But Nader, or Nadir, I think it's Nadir. Nadir, he just keeps scoring, and he, he's got such a standard way of playing. Like, they kick it out to the three-point line, and he and then he attacks the bloke closing out drives in and, and dunks and shoots. And he can hit the three as well. He hit, uh, he hit one out of four here. He can hit the three, but he's just such an aggressive driver that I would think that he is going to find his way onto the roster and maybe he gets some, uh, some minutes at the four occasionally. Not many, but maybe he plays a little bit at the four. So he, he was relatively impressive in this game. You know, Kadeem Allen and Jabari Bird, their other two draft picks, didn't do much to, to impress. On the Spurs... Uh, Davis Bertans was fairly hot from three. He, he has no hesitation in, in pinging those. Four of eight from three for 14 points and four rebounds. That's just what he does. While uh, Bryn Forbes was on fire, 31 points in 29 minutes. He was hitting everything. Six of eight from three, two rebounds, three assists and three steals. And he has looked really comfortable in both games so far, Forbes. Um, he's looked more accomplished than what DeJounte Murray has. Now, they do play different positions. Forbes is playing more as a shooting guard. He played a little bit of point guard last season. But he is making a case to say, you know what, he's ready for maybe some regular rotation minutes. But if Manu returns, it's going to be hard to find those for Forbes. But he has looked impressive. As for Murray, just the five points. He did have 10 rebounds, four assists and a steal, but missed all 10 of his field goal attempts. Has looked quite, he's looked very good defensively. He's rebounding quite well. He's still going to be in line to start for this team with uh, Mills playing the bulk minutes behind him. Um, I, I wouldn't be thinking that Murray is going to be a standard league player, though, despite him being a, yeah, potentially a starter. Uh, Derek White, the shot selection was poor. I think he missed his first seven shots, ended up with 10 points and two assists. He's listed as 6'5". I do not believe that for a second. I walked straight past him. He looks about the same height as me, which is about 6'2". That uh, yeah, that height seems rather incorrect. I, I don't see him as being that big. And yeah, he's he's had some decent moments, but he's had some poor shot selection moments so far. So there is a little bit of a way to go for, for Derek White and um, yeah, obviously behind Mills and and Murray at this point um, as point guards on this team. Jaron Blossom game started again, hit a pair of threes, had eight points, but I don't think he, he'll struggle. He might even struggle to make the roster, in fact. The second game, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Utah Jazz. The Jazz got the victory 100-94. to did get close. The Sixers were down big early. Uh, they came back and got it close, but the Jazz pulled away late to get that six-point victory. Let's talk about the Sixers. 
It was uh, the debut of Furkan Korkmaz for the Sixers. It wasn't as successful as he would have hoped. He did miss all of his shots, ended with three points all from the line, had uh, three assists and a steal. He's uh, he's bigger than what you expect, like 6'7". He looks maybe 6'8". The shot looks good. It didn't go down, but he is going to struggle to find himself minutes there with Luawu Cabarro and JJ Redick ahead of him, so I wouldn't be expecting too much out of him straight away. And in fact, yeah, as a fantasy contributor, I think he's, he's probably behind Luawu Cabarro, even for dynasty value. As for TLC, he had 12 points, two boards, and three assists in this game. Continues to look good, but will look so much better when he's playing with Embiid and when he's playing with Simmons. In terms of draftability for Luawu Cabarro, the arrival of, of Redick is, is definitely a... Um, an issue and it's going to make him pretty much impossible to draft. Markel Fultz looked really good again, 23-5-5. Six turnovers, not ideal. And defensively, he does have concerns. He does tighten it up occasionally, but um, he just looks... It looks like he's got no energy at times. Now, there's a couple of things we can associate with that. Maybe he's not in shape because he does look a little pudgy. He looks a little rotund, a little soft, um, maybe that's just the way he looks. Maybe that's just the way his body is. But he just looks like he's not. He's definitely not chiseled. He's not rock hard at this point. So he does have a little bit of a way to go in terms of getting his body right. It could also be the altitude up here that's really impacting him and it's causing him to look puffed straight away, and that's causing some of the defensive issues. But otherwise, offensively, you know, he's hitting some good threes, four of eight from three here, a nine of 16 shooting, like super efficient. His passing has been good. Not all of his um, not all of his passes are being converted into assists, even though he, he's passing some pretty good some pretty good dimes out there. They're not all, the shots aren't always going down. And he looks comfortable. He does have some issues sometimes I see when he dribbles. He dribbles really wide and really high, and that um, it does cause him to get stripped a little bit. So that is a little bit of a concern, and that needs to be fixed. But, um, yeah, is, he's obviously going to be drafted, and he's, he's, going to have it, he's going to have a chance at being a top 50 guy. It's been a strong start from Markel Fultz. It's been a super strong start from Jonah Bolden as well, who, while he was inefficient with his shooting, two of nine and one of five from three for just five points, he had four boards, three steals, and three blocks, and defensively, he's everywhere. But as I said, I think on uh, or two days ago, show that there's just no spot really on the roster for him. So I imagine he goes back to Europe for this season, despite how well he's played, unless they look to trade someone away or they move Okafor, because there's Okafor, Embiid, Simmons, Sharich, Holmes, all those guys who are currently on the roster that are playing the four and the five. Bolden's looked awesome. Defensively, he's been great, and he does have a really good fantasy outlook if he could get minutes. The problem is, there's just so many guys that are ahead of him. It's going to be hard for him to ever become a top 150 player in this on this team anyway. But he would be someone to watch if he happened to get moved at any point to another to another team. But yeah, super impressive with his defensive action. He's uh, unbelievably bouncy. He's athletic. He just looks on another level in terms of his athleticism here in uh, in summer league. It was a good game from Alex Poitras as well, who is on the Sixers roster. Seventeen and eight with two steals for Poitras. Uh, a few putbacks. Uh, nice three. He was uh, he was impressive, but. Yeah, much like Bolden, the squeeze for roster spots, especially in that big spot, uh, is going to make it hard for Poitras to make the roster in the end and uh, and have a consistent sort of impact. 
If we go along to the Utah Jazz, now Dante Exum was uh, really good. 26 points. He hit three triples, five rebounds, 10 assists, and a block, and doing exactly what he should do, and that's absolutely dominate these games. Yeah, really strong and yeah, hitting pull-up threes and showing that, that shit, yeah, maybe there is something here with Exum. And a yeah, reminder that he is super young. He's still only 21 years of age, yeah, younger than a big chunk of guys who are coming in as rookies this season. He was impressive as well, and there is opportunity, clearly, with Hayward moving there and Hill moving on also, there's an opportunity for Exum. What Quinn Snyder does remains to be seen, but you would imagine that he is penciled in as the immediate backup behind Ricky Rubio and should be looking to get 20 minutes a game, at least at the one and the two. Now, um, you know, he's not going to get enough minutes to be a fantasy contributor in uh, 12s or even 14-team leagues, and his statistical profile hasn't been great in his first couple of seasons, but what we've seen here has shown that he does have these abilities. He's just got to be able to translate that at the higher level. Donovan Mitchell is going to be a fan favorite here. There's no doubt about that. 25 minutes, 15 points, four assists, and three steals. An absolute terror defensively. He blocked a shot as well, and unlike Exum, he does have great fantasy translations. Again, the problem is going to be what minutes does he get, but but if we have a situation where Crowder doesn't come and Ingles is playing a lot of the three and Rocket gets injured, then there are minutes opening up for Mitchell and then he would become a must-own player. That ability to get steals, the assists, the scoring, the shooting, it all looks great at the moment. So while, again, I haven't done any projections for any teams, um, depending on how this Utah roster pans out, Mitchell's going to be a guy to, to pay some significant attention to. Joel Bollenboy had 10 and 5. You know, there is a you know, lack of depth of power forward on this team, but I don't think it's going to be he's going to be the answer. While Tone Bradley had 8 and 3 and blocked a shot and didn't do anything to really to really impress me. Their other draft pick from this season, Nigel Williams Goss. I thought he looked pretty good. He had 9 points in 22 minutes, an assist and 3 steals, blocked a shot as well. Um, I thought he looked yeah, pretty much in control the most, most of the time that he was out there, but there is a, a fairly... High uh, or hard path for him to start getting consistent minutes with uh, with Exum, with Rubio, with Hull Neto also on the roster. Williams Goss may not make the final roster, but it was an impressive showing for his first summer league performance. And that just about does it for today's show, guys. I just found out that this podcast is now on Spotify podcast, so you can go if you are do you listen on Spotify, you can go and uh, follow along on there and listen to the show over on Spotify. Make sure you are checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, whether that's Locked On Celtics, where um, we had a, a guest show on uh, Locked On Celtics yesterday as uh, as Sam and John called up David Locke, and I was in the, in the car with David as he was doing that interview. Myself and Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue and Kevin Pelton we were all in the car together and uh, driving around trying to find a restaurant to eat dinner and uh, doing a podcast and didn't get to didn't get to have my uh, cameo on the podcast because I had to get out to go and uh, to go and eat dinner while uh, while um, David finished off the interview. But he hear all those other guys chiming, so that was a really fun podcast, the Locked On Celtics show, or any of the other shows um, on the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you are checking those out. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, and now Spotify as well. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Gordon. 
Hej Ole.